You know, years ago, we were uh, learning to raise our daughters. And a number of things that we struggled with along the way were as little girls learn to get along and not get along, we had the issue of trying to teach them how to make things right, you know? And so we tried this one, you know, say you're sorry, right? And so you get this, sorry, you know what I mean? And so like now it's worse. Now you've offended with the word sorry, you know? So we did one, a number of those, like, come on, say you're sorry. No, say it nicer. No, try to say it this way. No, try to control your tone of voice. No, it doesn't work, you know? So we created a different process. We were actually out to dinner. I can't remember what we were eating, you know, steak or schnitzel or whatever it was. And uh, we're out to dinner and we decide, hey, you know, we need to come up with a plan that works a little better. And so as some of our reading had taught us, we went to a four-step process. And I've talked to you guys a little bit about this one time. But we have a four-step process. It goes like this. I'm sorry. You need to say those words. Literally, I'm sorry. For, and then you fill in the blank. For what? And be detailed. And it's not about them. I'm sorry you're hurt. That's not an apology. I'm sorry that I've used words that, have, that they hurt you. I'm sorry I was too hard on you. I'm sorry I wasn't there when I told you I'd be there. I'm sorry that. Please forgive me. And then the last one is the other party saying, I forgive you. Not, I don't know, give me some time. I'll talk to you later. Let me get back to you tomorrow or the next day. But I forgive you, okay? I'm sorry for what? Will you please forgive me? I forgive you. Became a little family rule. Now, we named it reconciling the relationship. So you have to picture a little six-year-old going out and saying, time to reconcile the relationship. You know, those kinds of things. <laughs> it was funny. The kids get it. I don't know if they knew the words at the time, but they had the label nailed, right? Even a couple of days ago, uh, my wife said, come on, it's time to come to the dinner table. And Megan stood up. And she goes, I have to go reconcile the relationship first. And she walked in to go talk to Alyssa real quick and give her a hug before they came out. Some things had happened, you know? It's just neat to have family rules, you know? How do we live as one in the family? We've got to have some rules and some guidelines to go by. You know, the Apostle Paul just got done in the first part of Ephesians saying, Hey, we're all one. Let's get together. And then he says, You know what? God's even brought us together. He's brought you specifically to serve in this body. And now that I've put 700 people in one room and there's a possibility of 25,000 different one-on-one -on -one relationships, here's some family rules of how we're going to need to get along. Because you know what? Literally, the math is, it's something like 24,000-some number of relationships that are possible in this church body right now, one-on-one. -on -one. Do you think we're going to have a few instances of people getting hurt, misunderstandings, somebody not following through the way they could have or should have? We will, okay? So we're going to have some family rules, and that's what this is about today. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Live as one. The ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. If you do not have a Bible, we'd love to get one into your hands, okay? Just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. We're going to be walking verse by verse through this, all right? This is Paul's answer to how do we come out of the shadows, the name of our series, out of the shadows and live in his light, living as one. Here we go. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard of him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Paul's challenge, we broke it down into three points here. He simply says, starting with, do not walk like an enemy of God. Do not walk like an enemy of God. That's his first point. Let's look right away at verse 17. He starts out, now. This is a connecting word, now. So what's it connecting us to? It's connecting us back into the prior verses where he said, remember, our God is one in the first six verses. Remember that. Act in that way. Think in that way. Oneness. That's where we're at. And, and don't forget, God has brought you specifically to this body as a gift to us. That when you unleash your spiritual giftedness, the reason he's brought you here, we're better off for it. Don't forget that, that you're a gift to this body. And in the midst of the oneness and in the midst of the working together as a body, he's saying, now, now that I brought you together for this great adventure, let's make sure we get along along the way. Okay, now. He says, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must no longer walk. Now, remember last week we talked about walk. What does a walk look like? Rocket science here. Ready? Remember this? This is deep. So for those of you who just got up, this is what walk means, right? But in the Greek, this was a big deal. Because in their day and age, the way they got from point A to point B, it was the walk. It was purposeful. It was intentional. It was necessary. It was the way to get there, okay? So they moved from one spot to another, but they did more than just move along. Often they moved together. They walked together. And it was a very relational time, interactive time. So what you learn from the walk is that it's purposeful. It's relational. You're moving from one space to another along with others, growing along the way. He's saying that part of your spiritual element with God, where you're purposefully moving with God, and relating to him along the way. That walk, please don't make it look like the enemies of God. Now, he actually says the word Gentiles here. Question, is he trying to differentiate between Jew and Gentile? Is he like ethnically bigoted? Is that what he's doing? He's saying, hey, don't look like them. Look like the Jews. No, that's not what he's doing at all. He's saying, remember where you came from, church at Ephesus. 
who is predominantly Gentile, don't forget that this is what you used to walk and look like. And please, don't continue in it. Leave it alone. Don't continue in what? So he goes on. He says, don't walk as the Gentiles do. A couple of lists. In the futility of their mind. Futility. Useless. Not helpful. No value in it. Futility of their minds. In other words, the thinking of those who don't know Jesus Christ is really not getting them anywhere spiritually and relationally with God. Purposeless. Useless. The futility of their thinking is collapsing right before them. Don't forget that. Don't walk with the world and look like the world. The world can't even think straight and get who God is. Don't lose sight of that. The futility of their minds. He goes one step further. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. Why is their thinking futile? Because we start with thinking breaking down. We go underneath it and we find out the whole understanding is darkened. You know, the lights are off. You've ever gotten up in the middle of the night and the, the lights are all off and your eyes are really not adjusted at all and you start running into things? You know what I'm saying? I hit the dresser last night getting up. The lights are off. And I'm like, bam! Like, oh, yeah, that's right. The dresser's to the left. Got to move to the right a little bit, and, right? When you're darkened in your understanding, you're not seeing things. And you're running headlong into that which will hurt you. Darkened in their understanding. So their underneath piece, the understanding was not right. That's why their minds were futile. Because the understanding wasn't even there. He goes one step further than that. Well, why would their understanding not be there? He says right after it, alienated from the very life of God. You want to know why they're darkened in their understanding? Because they have no life with God himself. That's why. Because there is no relationship. There is no interaction. There is no input. It's kind of my world. It's all about me, thank you. I'm pretty much trying to get things done in a way that will make me happy and me feel good, that will help me to feel successful at the end of the day, and relaxed and comfortable, and me, 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 me. It's my life and my world. The word alienated, separated, a stranger of, not experiencing the life of God. Missing out on the very life that God has for him. Life. That's not a bad word. It's not punishment to have a life with God. And yet they're missing it. They're walking away because they're going after their own thing. He goes one step further then. He says, hey, you know, their thinking is futile because their understanding is darkened because they have no life with God. Guess what that leads to? It's not just their thinking that's off. Their actions are starting to show it. What's in our heart ends up coming out in our mouth and our hands. He says, you know, they're ignorant in them. Ignorant. Well, this isn't a harsh word. We use this word kind of harshly today, right? When we say somebody's ignorant, we're really trying to say it with a little bit of disdain. We're trying to rip on them bad, right? That's ignorant. It really just means uninformed, okay? They don't have the right information. That's what's being said here. They don't have the right information. Why? Hardness of heart. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. The heart. And it's hard. Their mind is not working correctly because their heart is hardened to them. They're not soft to the ways of God. So why are we modeling that? That's what Paul's saying. 
Are you following with me, people? Why are we modeling? Can't think. Don't have any understanding. No life with him. Hard is hard. Why are we modeling that? Please follow along with me here. And then he takes another step and he says, let me be real specific. Okay. They have become callous. So if you've ever played a guitar or known somebody that has, you know what I'm talking about? Where you start, when you start out, you feel like you're bleeding. You know what I mean? You're pressing down on those strings. They're, they hurt. You're, you end up hurting for days and days until you start building up the calluses. And then months later, you actually can like tap things and you don't even feel anything. And somehow we say that's good, right? But like you're tapping and you're going, I don't feel it. That's cool. So now you can play anything with the strings. I'm sure Larry probably feels nothing down to like the third knuckle, but like <laughs> callousing. It creates an insensitivity. That's what it's about. It's deadening the surface because it's making it hard and solid so you can't sense underneath. That's what he's saying. They were calloused in their actions, in their thinking. He says they've given themselves up to, here we go, here's the actions. Sensuality. What feels good? You know, the, the world's cry. If it feels good, oh, that's weak. If it feels good, yeah, that's the world's cry. We all know it, right? If it feels good, do it. The problem is, that's not God's battle cry. That's the world's battle cry. That's calloused. That's lacking understanding. That's thinking that's futile. If it feels good, do it. Be careful, because a lot of us are in this mode. Hear me. Right now, a lot of your decisions are, but how comfortable will that be? But I don't really want to confront them with what isn't going right in their life, because I want them to like me. But... I really don't want to stop doing what I'm doing wrong because I really like the feelings that it's bringing. I mean, are we really going to go after the feelings or are we going after our God and a relationship with him? Be careful. This one, we mock and yet we follow it. We mirror it often. Watch out. Sensuality. The next one, greedy. Greedy. In other words, I'm going to take for myself what doesn't belong to me. Greedy. I'm hoarding it unto me. What things? Look specifically at what greedy things. To practice every kind of impurity. To practice every kind of impurity. Here's the key to that, okay? It starts to sound like right and wrong, and you're going to hear me say this a couple times today. For those of you who are the legalists, because there's a lot of us out here who like to be a perfectionist, so as we go through today, you're going to be like making your little boxes and starting to create checklists of things you can do to be right by the end of the day. And it's all about the action and we forgot that the heart is really where we're trying to get to. The actions that spill out of the heart, okay? So, nonetheless, our actions will mirror who God is. When we say something is pure, what we're actually saying is, do the things that are of the very character of God. Do the very things that reflect His nature. Think about it. Anything you do that's pure, it's merciful, it's gracious, it's kind, it's tender, it's thoughtful, it's others-oriented, it's whatever it is, it's reflecting a very central character of who God is. He's saying, be pure, like God himself. Don't be impure. Those are the very things that are against the character of God. You have a new life. You have a new walk. Go after it with everything you have. We serve a king. We serve a risen savior. We serve someone who has come to this earth to make an offering for you and for me. He has breathed new life into us. He has walked us into the throne room. He has given us new clothing and new robes. He has seated us with authority next to him. He has said, welcome to my throne room, my child, my prince, my princess. 
The question is, do we say, thanks anyway, I'm going to keep living like I was? Or do we say, it's time to make a change? That's what Paul's saying. It's time to make the change. Amen? Say the words with me. It's time to grow. One more time. It's time to grow. It's time to grow. I just want to say it this way. If you don't want to grow, you're probably going to end up uncomfortable here at Harvest Bible Chapel because it's going to be something I'm going to ask a lot. It's time to grow. Why am I asking it a lot? Because we see it in scripture all over the place. It's time to grow. The question is, what do you need to grow in? The question is, what do I need to grow in? Because each one of us has to make some changes and adjustments to become more like him. I'm making my changes. How about you? It's time to grow. It's time to grow. You know, 1997, Super Bowl. It was the Green Bay Packers. Are there any Green Bay Packers fans here today? Man, you guys didn't even cheer. It's, it's definitely daylight savings time. Okay, I'll start again. 1997, Super Bowl. It was the Green Bay Packers. All right. And the New England Patriots. All right. So that worked out well. Okay. So Bill, diehard Green Bay Packers fan. Family all year long, you know, painting their face green and yellow, putting a cheese hat on. I'm not sure why, you know, whatever. We won't go there. So putting the cheese hat on because cheese is tough. And so, all right. I understand it's a dairy state, but so they're, de- they're dressing up, they're decking out, they're going after it all year long. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And Bill opens up his drawer with his family. He's getting ready. He's getting all excited. And he opens up the drawer and he recognizes his favorite old t-shirt that's blue and has silver lettering on it. And he says, maybe I'll just wear my favorite t-shirt today. And all the Green Bay Packers fans say, oh my word, you guys are really asleep. What do you say? You got to be kidding me. Where's your green and yellow? I don't care how ragged it is. Get your colors on, man. Right? That's just a football game. And we understand what it means to represent. What about our king? What about the spiritual walk? Are you ready to open up the drawer and take the junk out that's from the former life and pitch it? It's no longer time to dress like the old life. It's time to dress like the king of kings. It's time to put on the pure, the healthy, the godly, If you actually go back through what he was told not to do, listen to these words, futile in their mind. In other words, your mind is sharp to who God is. Not darkened, but completely bright, lights on, full understanding of who God is. You are not alienated from the life of God. You are central. You are living your life with him. You are breathing and sleeping and everything about you is excited and passionate about life with God. You're not ignorant of them. You have a soft heart to them. You are not insensitive. You are sensitive. You aren't living for the feelings. You are living for what makes God be honored in the midst. You grasp who he is and you're going after him with all you've got because he's made a change. May it reflect in your heart and in your actions. The question is this. Are you ready to put the old clothes away and get clothed with new life? It's time to stop dressing like the enemy. It's time to stop dressing and walking like the enemy. His second point, he says, take off your grave clothes and dress like a living child of the king. 
Take off the grave clothes and dress like a living child of the king. Notice the play on words. Grave clothes and living. Okay? This is right in the center of this passage as he's talking through life in him. He starts in verse 20, and here's again another Pauline preaching moment. But that is not the way you learned Christ. He just got done talking about this walk with the Gentiles. And he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. What he didn't say was, but that's not the way you learned about Christ. He said, that's not the way you learned Christ. In other words, there was a way you went about things where you got to know him personally. There is a way you went through things where Jesus was not just some name you said on Sunday when you were singing a couple songs, but he was actually a relationship you began to strike up and live. Jesus Christ in your life making an impact. You got to know him personally as you went and did the following. Now here's where a few things about occur. He said a few things you did as you got to know Jesus. Verse 21. You have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So your ears were open. You heard about him. Places like Sunday morning. You heard about him, but you also were taught of him when you were in a Sunday school format as a kid or when you were in a class or a, or a um, course that was going on, maybe even a Sunday morning. You were actually receiving information about Jesus, but it did more than just be fill the head and walk away. You received the information and you found something out. You found that the truth is in Jesus. Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's not some horrible, heavy-handed statement. That's the keys to freedom. That's the keys to satisfactory life that you can live where in the end you are completely satisfied with him. The keys to satisfaction is Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And as you got to know him, you got to know the truth. And as you got to know the truth, you got to see what needed to change. And as you went after change, you were enamored with him. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget the change and the difference. Don't forget that Jesus Christ makes an impact every day in your life and in mine. Amen? He's a dynamic, living God at work in our lives. He is not some distant theological statement that we make and then we go on our way. The biggest mistake we make is that we actually don't live for him. Then it starts to feel like we are faking it. Think about it. How many times have you been walking in your Christian faith and all of a sudden you sort of feel like, I'm not even sure this thing's real. What am I doing? I mean, do you know what makes it feel not real? You're no longer being consistent in following through. There's a distancing that's occurring and you're beginning to mirror the Gentiles walk, alienated from God, darkened in your understanding. You're beginning to mirror that. It's not that you're in that state, but all of a sudden your relationship with him is falling off. Well, how do I keep that from happening? How do I make it real and dynamic every day where when I wake up, I am amazed with my God and I am excited to be in this walk? How do I go after that with all I have? Glad you asked. Take a look right after it. Verse 22. 
He's got a three-step process for us here, okay? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire. To put off your old self. To put off. Okay, this word really means declothe or disrobe. It's a, it's a clothing statement. Get it off. It, it means take off the grave clothes. I mean, when Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, did he say to him after that, why don't you just stay in the grave clothes? At least you got something on. Let's sit down and chat. Get him changed. Get that off. He is no longer dead. You have new life. Don't stay in the grave clothes that reflect where you were. Dress like a child of the king. He says, take off your old self, which belonged to the former manner of life and was corrupt through deceitful desires. You know, self-desires. I'm willing to hurt somebody else as long as I can get what I want. That's what it's about. We've got to be careful because the flesh, what's natural to us, is self-absorbed. Be really careful where you're going. It's time to go after the king, honoring and glorifying him, not honoring and glorifying self, not self. He says, put it off. So that's like this effort. I have to stop doing something. I'm creating a vacuum when I do it. As I take something and put it off, what do I do with the space? So a lot of us get pretty good at trying to say, no, I won't, I won't, I won't. So here's the legalist statement, right? These are things I will not do. And then we start our walk and we start going along this walk of I won't, I won't. And we sort of avoid things, but we get down the path a little ways and guess what happens? There's a total void there. And so we turn around and we go back to what's natural and we put it back on and we redress with that very thing we just put off. And then we get so frustrated. Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? I mean, Paul wrote it in Romans 7, right? Why am I doing this thing? You know why? Because we're wrestling with self in the midst of him. And the best answer that we can have is not just to put off. That's only one step. He continues. He says, next step. And, 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The power of God at work. Remember when we were looking at Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. There's two prayers there, right? In Ephesians 1, there's the prayer of enlightenment. Please, I plead for you that you know him. And you know his power. Him resurrected, lifted up, and empowered. The prayer of enlightenment. But in chapter 3, the prayer of empowerment. That his power is at work in you. That's the secret to change. It's you desiring and going after putting off and putting on. But it's being renewed. It's God, please work in me. I want this to change. Help me to have the passion for you. Help my passion to look like your passion. May I today look more like you than I did yesterday. That's what it's about. Are you ready to go after looking different? I want to grow. As you seek growth and you spend time in his word and praying, I'm not talking about a checklist. Like, hey, I just read some stuff. I'm talking like you go through the word and you say, God, what do you want to teach me today? And you don't stop till you found something that you read that goes, I need to change that. I need to be working on that. That's a truth about God I have not been embracing. That's a piece of me that I need to let go of. Now, that could take you six minutes. You're like, wow, I got a lot to work on. First verse and I'm needing to fix it. Well, then stop. It's time to focus. Write that down and spend some, don't just keep reading so you can say, read my chapter, read my four chapters. It doesn't matter how much you're reading. 
are you changing? That's what matters. God, are you working in me? Be renewed in your mind. Show me, Lord, what you have for me. I want to be different to your glory, to your honor. Amen? I want to change for your glory and honor, Lord. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So put off, then be renewed. Then, it says, put on. Verse 24. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now notice what it does not say. Manufacture the new self. It's all up to you. Create this with everything you have. Try to perceive what you would do. That It doesn't say that. It says put on the new self. You know, the one that's created in the likeness of God. Already made and sitting on the side. Pick it up and put it on. God has made for you new life. It's sitting there ready to be put on. And the renewed mind gets it, sees it, perceives it, doesn't trip over it in the dark, but grasps and puts it on. We need to be putting off, seeing what's wrong, getting rid of it. We need to be renewed, daily asking God for relationship. How can I be more like you? How can I lift you up? What is true of you that I need to know today? Show me some truth. And then put on the new self, the things that need to come on properly. He says, in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. You want a measure of what it is? Righteousness and holiness. Purity, cleanliness, good stuff. Things that when people walk by and see it, they go, wow, God's at work in you. And they might go, wow, you're doing awesome. And that's when you say, no, praise be to God. He's renewing me. There's some things I'm learning daily. Bring the glory to him. If you bring the glory to you, you've totally lost the point. This is not about aggrandizing self because that's what we can do in the church world, right? We know what we honor and everybody gets it. And when we start seeing people lifting up, we start kind of giving them a little bit of kudos. We say, hey, great job. And we, it's not wrong to encourage, but at the same time, we end up going, yeah, kind of was a good job. Thank you. That was a good job. I'm doing well here. And all of a sudden I'm going back down, right? That's what happens. As quickly as we start getting it, we start thinking we're pretty good for getting it. Be careful. Allow your mind to be renewed. Dress daily. This is not a one shot. Every day, clothing yourself with the things that honor him. Okay? Clothing yourself. It can be a tough job. It's a struggle that'll last a lifetime. I'll go back six, seven years ago again. My wife was singing on the worship team. It's Christmas Sunday, which means for those of you who work on the Sunday mornings, you're like, oh, that means you had the job of getting the kids ready for church. Yes. So it was my job to dress a four-year-old and a six-year-old girl for Christmas Sunday. All right. So we have these brand new little dresses and everything's looking great. And so I start out and, you know, we, we get the tights, which are very appropriately named. Like, I'm telling you, those things are rough to put on, you know? And so, and little girls' legs are kind of, they're kind of rubbery. And, you know, she's like trying to push and they're, they're starting to cry. And you're like, come on, we'll get it in. Don't worry. And then you realize halfway up that they're backwards, right? <laughs> so you take them off, you turn them around and you get that all set and squared away and we get them turned. And then the tights have the lines in them, but they're like going all over the place instead of straight outside. And I'm like, good enough, you know? <laughs> we get the tights on and we get the little dress on and everything's set up. Both girls are looking fine except the hair is kind of like, you know? 
And Megan looks at me and she goes, Dad, I want to curl my hair. And I said, bad news for you, hon. I have never curled hair in my life. I have no idea what we'd be doing there. And she goes, well, I know where mom keeps it. I'm like, great. So she goes and gets the curling iron out and plugs it in. She goes, well, that's all I know how to do. So now it's my job to start curling hair, okay? So I take this curling iron and I like put it in, I roll it and I let go. Like, I don't want to burn her hair, you know? So I do it real fast, nothing. Do it a little slower, nothing. Do it a little slower and finally it keeps. I'm like, hey, I did all right, you know? Do the next one, do the next. We get a curl. I'm like, we're done, you know, good job. She goes, I want to curl my bangs. So you notice how the women laugh? Because the guys are like, so? And the girls are like, no, you don't get it. Bangs, man. That's tough stuff. So I start trying to curl the bangs. And I burned her head. So as she has this red mark on her forehead now, you know, getting ready to go to Christmas. I'm like, it looks good enough. You know, we're close enough. And she's like, you know, tears are coming down. And we tried to wipe her with a wet rag and stuff. We get her kind of calmed down. She's dressed up now. She's looking pretty good. We take her in to church and Jana comes in. She goes, wow, they're looking great. I'm like, you have no idea how hard this was, right? The reality is getting dressed up, putting on what we need to put on. It can be tough work sometimes. It can hurt as we get rid of some stuff that we don't want to get rid of, but we still need to do it. You need to put off, you need to be renewed, and then put on. There is great joy and pleasure in looking like the king and in honoring the king. Sometimes it hurts along the way, but there is great privilege in being able to grow and change and look like him. There is. He's built us and designed us to be totally satisfied in that position. Take off the grave clothes. Dress as a living child of the king. Are you ready to put off and put on? Are you ready? I need to hear yes. Are you ready? All right. Here's some examples. Paul starts out in verse 25. Therefore, and remember, when we have a therefore, we say, what's the therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? Okay? Some reason they put this connector in here. Paul's saying, put off, put on. Let me give you some examples. So point number three, what's your sticking point? Start putting off and putting on today. What's your sticking point? Did you know that? Every single one of us in our walk, there's a spot where we're wrestling. I have it. I've got my struggles. There's some things I'm working on. There's some things I've got this week that I know I need to be working on, and I'm working on them. I'm asking, Lord, give me some clarity on how to be adjusting and handling this. How about you? What's your sticking point? Are you ready to be putting off and putting on? Here's a list that he gives us. Let's just walk through the list real quickly here, okay? Notice the put-offs and put-ons. So there's a table at the bottom of your sheet. We're going to have a table up here. We've got it filled out, okay? So that first thing on the left, put-off. See here it says falsehood. Put off falsehood. You know, when you're sharing lies, when you're living in non-truth, when you'd rather share what's not true than what's true because it maybe helps you a little more. Falsehood. Get rid of it. What do we put on? You speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. We truth the information in love. Share kindly and gently, but factually. All the time. Live in the truth, not in falsehood. Another thing to put off, sinful anger. He says, do not be angry or be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Sinful anger. The thing we put on is godly anger. Now let's just answer this real quickly. What is anger? What's godly anger? What's sinful anger? 
I did a, a little bit of studying this week, and here's a simple one I found. Three things that have to be there, or three things that make it sinful anger. If it is without cause, if it is excessive, or if it is protracted too long. Those are things that make it ungodly. If it is without cause, you know, maybe I feel bad because somebody stepped on my toes, but that's really not the main point. It's what's going on with God. Or, you know, I just got upset because I'm tired and I'm hungry, and so I'm just really short with everyone and everything. It's causeless. Excessive. You know, it was like a number two kind of problem, but I brought a nine to the situation to, to fix it. You know what I mean? Somebody's coming out a little late to dinner and you just bring this rage to the whole thing. Why are you late? What are you thinking about? What do you... I was just washing my hands and getting here a little late. And I, well, I said to come a minute, whatever, I look like an idiot, okay. You know, we bring nines to two situations and usually when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. But really watch out. The three points that make something ungodly sin, right? It's without cause. It's excessive or it's protracted. When are we supposed to close out something that we're angry with? That day. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. Close it out. Keep the short list. Close it out. Anger, okay? Be very careful of it. It's going to get us all. We got to be really careful with it. Give no opportunity to the devil is verse 27. He's saying anger, that's a huge foothold. We all use it. We do it to protect self. Watch yourselves. Okay? Verse 28. Do not steal. In other words, don't take what doesn't belong to you. Maybe it's objects. You're taking actual physical objects. Maybe it's just credit. Are you stealing credit? Are you allowing people to think you accomplished something when somebody else is the one who did it? Don't steal. What should you do instead? You should work or labor honestly and be ready to share. Be a hard worker and a giver. Okay? So the put off... Don't steal, put on, work hard, labor, and share. Corrupting talk. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. So put away the corrupting talk. What is corrupting? It means, you know, when I say things, I tear you down. It's corrupting. It's ruining the situation. I'm taking you and I'm making you worse for the wear. Because you came in contact with my words, you're hurt. Not hurt because you wanted to cling to something that was your own, but hurt because I just lashed out. I cut you. It was all about me, and I made you hurt. Corrupting talk. Could be even filthy talk here. What kind of jokes do you use in the office place so you fit in? Be careful. I'll just use a five-second illustration. You know, I, I worked in the engineering world for 17 years. I would say, on average, every third word was a swear word. I mean, it was... a it was a pretty rough atmosphere. Lots of swearing going on. So it was pretty easy to be a light in that world. You just had to not swear. Okay? And one of the things that happened was, uh, do you remember this commercial, actually? There was a guy who was painting an end zone. Uh, he was painting the name Chiefs in it. Do you remember this? And he actually dropped the eye. So somebody walks by and he goes, hey, that looks really great. Who are the chefs? It was supposed to say Chiefs, you know? And he had dropped the eye and he goes, good googly moogly. Do you remember that? So that was a little phrase that I used in there. It was hilarious. I tried to get 20 engineers to start saying that instead of swearing, okay? So what you ended up getting up with, guys getting ready to like drop the F-bomb or whatever, and they're like, they're so upset. And they go, oh, good googly moogly. <laughs> you know, 
It, it worked. You know, I wasn't like razzing them and giving them a heart. I was just, come on, man, try it. What the heck? Why don't you try it? You know, good googly moogly. It really worked well to give them softer words to use. And all of a sudden they're going, wow, this is actually, I kind of understand. I said, just so you know, it's not about the words we use or whatever. It reflects a relationship with God. But that is, it's important to me that I try to not be swearing. Just a little thing to say, corrupting talk, okay? What should it be? It should be building up, gracious. That's what it should be, okay? Another thing, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He says there, you've been sealed. Be led by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's asking us which way to go and telling us which way he'd want to have us, and we say, nah, I got my own thing. I'm going this way. That grieves the Holy Spirit. He's taken up residence within you to make an impact. He wants to lead and guide and direct you. He wants to shepherd you. Are you being led by the Holy Spirit or are you going after yourself? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Put it off. Instead, be led by the Holy Spirit. Be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then he gives a list at the end here where he goes after it. He says, bitterness. These are things you need to put off. Bitterness. That's like a settled hostility, a long-term anger. I'm really upset over a long period of time. I'm brewing on it. And now I pretty much can't think of anything else but it. So what comes off my lips is that because that's all I'm thinking about. When I'm quiet, I'm thinking about it. When I'm talking, I'm thinking about it. I'm brewing on it. I'm hostile over it. Bitterness, okay? Wrath, that's anger meted out. I'm lashing out at you. Wrath. Clamor, that's literally physically brawling. I'm beating you up. Don't beat people up. That's what it says to do. Just to be clear, okay? Slander, I'm talking ill of you. I'm saying things that are bad about you and they're untrue. I'm slandering your name. Malice, I really want to hurt you. My goal is to make sure you're hurt. What do I need to put on instead? Kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. I need to be thinking about the other person. I need to be caring for the other person. And I need to be willing to forgive. And how does it say to forgive? It says, as God in Christ forgave you. Don't forget where you came from. Look at that list. I mean, just take a look at that list for a second. My question to you is this. What do you need to be putting off and putting on? What's your sticking point? What's the spot you could be working on best and most right now? Paul gave us a pretty thorough list. You might say, well, mine's not on there. Great, put another line. (laughs) We're working on something today, okay? It's time to grow. What are you working on? We really need to be thinking it through, okay? It's time to change. It's time to mirror the king. We serve a risen savior. We serve the almighty king. And he has taken up residence within us through the Holy Spirit to make it a lifelong impact. You can look more like him. You can act more like him. You can be more satisfied than ever before. It's time to lay it down. It's time to grow. Say it with me. It's time to grow. One more time. It's time to grow. It's time to grow. That's what we need to be saying each and every day. It's time to grow. What's the rules for the family for living as one? Recognize that it's time to grow.